I would like to talk to you about Christmas. So we're going to start with two words. There are two very similar words in the English language, imminence and imminence. Good. Um, imminence is the word that most people are used to, which is the about to happenness. Okay? And so Christmas is imminent, meaning it's about to happen. There's another word which is immanent, with an A in the middle instead of an I, and it means something else. It means the here-ness, or the nearness, or the inherent in, or pervasiveness, and it's often applied theologically to God, meaning that he is in all of creation and that he upholds all of it. So what I want to posit with you today is that um, imminence plus Christmas equals worldliness and immanence plus Christmas equals joy. Okay? Good, well, I don't understand anything else then. Uh, so here's a question for you. Why do they start playing blooming Christmas music in November? And why do they start all these flipping sales? Like, in November? That was an actual question. Hmm? Yeah. It's to buy stuff, to, to sell stuff, to get us giving people money early. And I think what it comes down to is that we've replaced joy in our culture with anticipation. It's very hard to get joy in a nation or in, in the West because we've got so much. And part of the joy for us is, you know, saving up to get something. It's the anticipation of something, not the fact itself. So joy has become hard to come by and true joy comes from God alone. We know that, don't we? We've not experienced uh, a trueness of joy that does not come from God. And you might say, well, hold on a sec. There are loads of things in the world that are good and they do bring us joy. And I would agree with you. In fact, I've written some notes about what I love. I love it every spring when trees begin to bud and blossom. To me, that gives me joy. I love poking my head through the door when the kids are playing and they don't know I'm watching. And they're like, no! And stuff like that. I just love it. I love watching Stella when she's doing art because she sings to herself and she sings so beautifully and she does this art and she's, it just gives me such joy. I love seeing people healed. I love seeing people released. You know, when someone's burdened and they have these tormenting thoughts or whatever, and then they're like, I'm free, I'm free. I love seeing that. I get a lot of joy when I finish a job that's like been really hard work. And for me, that's quite rare because I'm good at starting jobs, but not so good at finishing them. And finally, I, I feel such joy when I fall asleep under the stars in my hammock. It's just like my happy place. So it's a bit like Coca-Cola. Not a lot like Coca-Cola, but a bit like Coca-Cola. Um, do you remember in the 90s, loads of new brands of Coca-Cola came out? Can you remember any of them? There was like Tab caffeine-free, all that stuff. There was Panda, Virgin. Huh? Someone said... Okay. Anyway, all the supermarkets were at it too. Tesco, Sainsbury's, they were all making their own cola. And, um, but nothing was quite like what Coca-Cola very cleverly called the real thing. And 
If you want real joy, you need to go to the source of real joy. You can't get, uh, you can't get counterfeits. Joy belongs to God. In Psalm 16:11, it says, "In your presence is fullness of joy and pleasures evermore. At your right hand are pleasures evermore." But this joy that comes from God is not like God with a machine gun firing out globules of joy at his obedient children. It's, it's emanating from him. If you can cope with the word emanating in a preach about imminence and immanence, then you can cope with emanating. It emanates from him. It's not um, arbitrary or targeted. It is him. So when we come to him, we, can, we feel more joy. Does that make sense? Yes, no. <laughs> the closer we get, the more we are infused and inspired and, dare I say it, indulged in the joy, true joy of God. Now, because real joy comes from God and because the nations have rejected God, as a culture, we've been working really, really hard to find alternative sources. <laughs> and so, and you only need to look at the TV for five minutes to realise that the world is selling um, all sorts of different ways that you can get joy. If you buy our holiday or our car or our app or our shampoo or our toilet roll, whatever it is, you will have real joy. You will stand out from the crowd. You will finally rest your weary soul. You know, it's like, and it's, it's false advertising. It really is. The Lynx effect doesn't work. <laughs> Does it? <laughs> Speaking of sex, do you know the story of the Golden Goose? Sorry, that's a ter- terrible link. Do you, uh, do you, does anyone know the story of the Golden Goose? So it's this idea that this poor farmer and his wife, they have no money and they have this goose and it lays a golden egg. And they're like, wow, this is amazing. And they can start buying things. And then the next day it lays another golden egg. And they're like, this is the best thing ever. And then they decide that, well, why should we wait every day to get all these golden eggs? We could just cut it open and get the golden eggs for ourselves from inside. And so they, they kill the golden goose and open it up and there's nothing inside. And I think with sex, what our culture has done is it has tried to greedily grab as much as possible of the joy that's inherent in sex that God has created and realise that it is not what they thought. There isn't the joy. There isn't that long-lasting satisfaction, the safety, the comfort, the goodness of sex as God has described it. That was a bit of an aside, but um, if we try to take shortcuts in joy, we just end up with a dead goose. Now, with Christmas, when we're trying to get joy without God, we end up with indigestion and a slightly depressing boxing day and a credit card bill in January that we can't afford to pay. That is what we do when we try to get joy from Christmas without God. And because real joy is impossible to get without God, instead of turning to God, what we've learned to do is to satisfy on what I said earlier, on anticipating joy rather than experiencing it. Now, don't get me wrong, because anticipation is a good thing, but it's not a substitute for joy. 
It's like, you know, when you're driving back from the north, I was thinking of you when I, um, Dave, when I was writing the notes, like you're driving all over the place and you're driving back down the M1 and you see London, 120 miles. I'm like, oh, still a long way to go. And then it says like 86 miles and then it says 65 miles or something like that. And you're like, yes, I'm getting there. And it's anticipation is only as valuable as the end that it uh, points to. And so in the case of Dave driving home from one of his many trips around, it's home that is the good at the end of the journey. And Advent is a time in which we celebrate the coming of Jesus and we're anticipating it and but but it's the subject sorry the object of the expectation is greater than the expectation itself does that make sense okay good a few nods that's good and therein lies the irony because we actually really do desire good things Fun, joy, comfort, security, those are all really good things. But we're too easily pleased. Like C.S. Lewis says, doesn't he, that uh, we're like a child making mud, um, mud pies in the slums without any clue as to what a holiday by the sea might mean. We opt for the cheap imitation, the made-in-China version, which breaks really easily and leaves us feeling disappointed. Many of you may have heard the adage, you buy cheap, buy twice. There we go. So that's imminence. That's the, it's about to happen. Come on, it's going to be good. It's going to be good. And it's, oh, it's not as good as what we wanted. It's like this carrot dangling in front of us that we never quite reach. It's 364 days of, come on, and a quarter of a day of, ah. Christianity, on the other hand, offers something else. It offers 80 years-ish of increasing joy and then joy eternal. Amen? So let's turn our attention to imminence then. I'm just going to read that passage from Isaiah um, that Jeff spoke about. And um, the, the background is that Ahaz is being offered the opportunity to make an alliance with the northern tribes in Israel and with Syria um, against some baddies. Maybe Syria was the baddies, actually. I can't remember which way around it is. Sorry. Um, and then, and this is what happens. Isaiah 7, verse 10. Again, the Lord spoke to Ahaz, saying, Ask a sign of the Lord your God. Let it be deep as shale, or high as heaven. But Ahaz said, I will not ask, and I will not put the Lord to the test. Then Isaiah said, Hear then, O house of David, is it too little for you to weary mortals, that you weary my God also? Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Look, the young woman is with child, and shall bear a son, and shall call him his, and shall name him Emmanuel. It's an amazing story, isn't it? Because um, Ahaz has this front of being noble, saying, I will not test the Lord my God. You know, you think of Jesus being tested in the wilderness and you think, oh, that's right. Yeah, that's, that seems like a good answer to give. But when God offers you something big, you don't turn him down. And that's what he's doing this morning. He's offering you something big, the real thing, 
immanence, God with us, here with us, not plastic toys that break, but the real thing. And 700 years later, a baby was born. His name was Yeshua, and the meaning is God saves. And he was indeed Emmanuel. And it's really interesting. I I was talking to my friend about this last night. The word Emmanuel is exactly the same letters as immanent (laughs) at the beginning of the word. And I tried to see if there was some kind of etymological link between the two, and I couldn't find one. Um, One comes from Latin, one comes from Hebrew, so it doesn't seem to, uh, doesn't come from the same place. But it's really cool, isn't it? The, the nearness of God, the hearness of God, is God with us. So this man, Jesus, what did he say? He said, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. He's saying God is offering something. Take it, take it, ask, seek, knock. And Christmas is the time when we celebrate the nearness and the hearness of God, his imminence, his pervasiveness through all creation. Hebrews 1.3 says, he is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. We celebrate that God almighty who lives in unapproachable light. Imagine that, you can't come close, It's, it's too bright. It's too powerful, it's too strong. It's lying in a food trough, being approached by snuffling animals, smelly shepherds, foreigners from afar. Suddenly, God Almighty is approached by mankind. He's entrusted to a pair of Galilean teenagers. Why? Because he loves us. And because we can't get close to him, not even with the best legal system in the world, we cannot get close to him. He draws close to us and we get to see the fullness of God in flesh revealed. Now, I like to throw in something a little bit intellectual every now and then, just so that you feel like you're getting your money's worth. So... There is in this an incredible mystery, okay? God is transcendent, meaning above. He's above everything and yet imminent at the same time. Isn't that amazing? That's something you can meditate on for a month. He is above your circumstances. He's above all the difficulties, all of that stuff. He's above it all. And yet at the same time, he is with you in that. Isn't that amazing? So, like Ralph said last year, and I I shared it from here, Christmas is when God gives us his presence. Isn't that amazing? God gives us his presence. So what I want to do, how long have I been? 16 minutes, okay is I want us to experience God himself. It's all too easy for us to be, to make facsimiles 
like fake versions of, counterfeit versions of God and fake experiences of him. And even people who have seen lots of amazing things and have um, cleansed lepers and cast out demons and done loads of really cool stuff, one day will see Jesus and he'll say, I never knew you. And for me, that is such a sobering thought that it is worth us taking time not to think about cleansing lepers, raising the dead, casting out demons, that sort of stuff, but just to enjoy the nearness and the hereness, the imminence of God. Does that sound good? Because we want the real thing, don't we? We don't want a, an English Jesus. <laughs> we don't want a Southeast English Jesus. We don't want a Turner's Hill Jesus. We want the real Jesus. We want God who became man so that we might know God fully. Amen? Amen. James 4.8 says, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Jesus said when he gave the great commission, behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Hebrews 13.5 says, keep your life free from love of money and be content with what you have. For he has said, I will never leave you or forsake you. And John 1.14 says, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us and we have seen his glory. Glory as of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. God is not dangling a carrot in front of us. He's welcoming us with open arms, saying, come on, come, come to me. And he is not a disappointment. He will meet with his children if we, if we give ourselves over to him and we say, I want to come. 